0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of CBF New Church Starts Conversation. Uh, today we're all in for a treat uh, as we'll be interviewing Bob Cheatham, pastor of Pleasant Hills Country Church in Abilene, Texas. Bob is without a doubt uh, one of the most humble pastors you'll ever meet and a brilliant church starter. Uh, I thought I'd play a clip at the beginning here just to show you how much fun we had together during this interview. Doing for the kingdom of God and so proud to have you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Okay. All right, all right. Serious. Uh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Bob, tell us a little bit about who you are and how you landed in Abilene.
1: Well, I am from Amarillo, Texas, up in the Texas Panhandle, the square part of Texas. Um, I grew up uh, going to a, a big, a large school, uh, high school, anyway. Uh while there, that I initially attended a fundamentalist church. It was the church that was around the corner. And uh, that's where I started going to church, uh, mainly to meet girls. They didn't care about meeting me, but I <laughs> I went there to meet them. It didn't work out, but, uh, but that's where I started going to church. And uh, it was there that I accepted Christ. And uh, a year later, I felt called into the ministry. Tell
0: me a little bit more about that, your call to ministry.
1: You know... I didn't know what God wanted me to do. I just knew God wanted me to do something different and special. Uh, I I love to preach. Uh, I didn't know if that's what God wanted me to do was preaching. I had no clue. And uh, I what I knew I needed to get some schooling. And uh, I went to uh, a Bible college up in Denver, which was not my cup of tea. It was it, it, it had dress codes. And and you know me. I'm not into the dress codes. It's just I got a hold of a student, student manual while living on campus before school started in the fall. I lived there during the summer. And I looked at that manual, and I just about had a heart attack. You know, your hair had to be a certain length. You couldn't listen to certain music. They would literally have monitors in movie theaters to make sure you didn't show up. And I went, what is up with this? And I knew that's where I did not need to be. My pastor at the time, I asked him, I said, I feel called in the ministry, where should I go? And he suggested two colleges, Wayland Baptist University in Plainview, Texas, and Hardin Simmons University. I said, well, which one? He said, that's between you and God. And I honestly didn't know where to go. So I applied at both colleges. I never heard from Wayland. Hardin Simmons called me a week later. And uh, they transferred my credits from Amarillo College And uh, I was ready to go, having a scholarship and everything. I came to and simmons having never seen the campus. And the moment I came here, I knew this is where I needed to be. And to this this day, I'm extremely grateful for coming here for many reasons. It expanded my mind, caused me to research and study for myself. Uh, I was extremely challenged here. Uh, My minor, or major if you will, was missions. I loved missions. Dr. Fletcher here at Hardin Simmons inspired me in great ways uh, on missions. I took a class with him, Dr. Jesse Fletcher, and uh, just blew my mind away missions and church starting. I knew that was the direction I needed to go. Uh, it was a long time before I got there.
0: Well, hopefully, after listening to this podcast, nobody at Wayland will get offended, but maybe they'll finally <laughs> send you that acceptance letter you've been waiting all these, yeah, years, to all go these years Yeah, all these years, <laughs> yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about when you sensed a call to church starting.
1: Well, my calling to church starting has gone through ups and downs. Years ago, when I was uh, changing denomination from Southern Baptist to American Baptist, um, I wanted to look into doing church planting. American Baptists were doing it at that time. And I filled out the appropriate paperwork, talked to the appropriate people, and never heard anything. And I just didn't know what to think of it. Uh, turned out my paperwork was lost or it never got sent in. Uh, so it, it never happened. So I wound up pastoring, uh, First Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Loved it. Great experience. Um, came back to Texas after being involved in an auto accident. Um, wanted to stay with American Baptists when I got to Texas, but there's not very many, uh, In Texas, so I looked at CBF. I've been involved with CBF for a very long time. I was at one of the very first meetings over there, looking at starting CBF, some 25 years ago, and I was the youngest person there. Now I'm kind of the oldest guy now, (laughs) but at that time there wasn't much going on with CBF. I mean, it was terminology wasn't even there, Mm -hmm. and uh, so I stayed with American Baptist. And so coming back to Texas. I aligned at that time more with Baptist General Convention of Texas and CBF, even in Texas at that time time in Texas, there wasn't that many CBF churches to begin with. There's still not that many compared to BGCT affiliated churches. So whilst pastoring a church here in Abilene for seven years, a traditional church, I began to see that the traditional church has its advantages but disadvantages. I got frustrated with Typical churches, not really reaching those I felt that were being neglected. And so my wife and I began to pray about it, about starting a church. And uh, while driving around on the north side of Abilene, we drove I, I by myself drove by a mobile home park, and I felt this strong tug. I can't tell you why, but I drove in there, and I went, Oh, my, I think God wants me to start a church here. And I went back to my wife, and she came with me, and we drove through it, and she agreed. Uh, That's where we first felt a strong pull to start do a church start. Uh, At the time I was 54, I kept telling myself, I think I'm too old for this. (laughs) But I still felt a strong call to do that.
0: Um, Well, tell me about some of the practical steps you took after sensing this call, Uh, and as you said, sensing to a very specific location, what are some of the practical steps
1: you took after that to, to prepare you uh, to start that church? Well, I contacted the DOM, Abilene Baptist Association, Dr. Truman Turk, sat down with him. He was blown away. He said years ago they had, uh, I guess, canvassed the area, for lack of words, to see the need for a church. And he said there is a need for a church in that area. And so he was excited. Um, I then knew I wanted to do a CBF, CBF Church Start. So I contacted David King, with CBF, Rick McClatchy initially. and He forwarded my name to David King, and uh, the conversation was started. Um, I looked at several churches in the area to see if they'd be willing to sponsor me, uh, get on board, get behind me, support me. Uh, CBF was more than happy to do that. And, and I, to me, the thrill of my life was being commissioned as a CBF church starter. That thrilled me to no end. Uh, a lifetime dream. And uh, I am proud to be a, a CBF church starter. Um, the, the cohort process through CBF was, was phenomenal. It really was. And, and I'm thankful for that. Communicating with other people, wanting to do the same thing. Going in the same direction I'm going. Some of similar age as myself. But fascinating enough, each one of them was doing a different kind of church plant. There was no locked-in model. And I love that. Uh, There's freedom to do a church plant that fits where you are. And that's just awesome to me. And CBF has allowed me to
0: do that. When you think back to your journey with CBF, how do you think we've best supported you in this process?
1: Well, like I said, going to that CBF cohort and being flown to Atlanta and visiting with several staff members there, I was reaffirmed that that's what we need to do. Um, empowering me, they basically said, we're going to be behind you. We're going to support you, and they have. Uh, it's been fantastic. There were some grant monies available each year, and uh, they were a blessing to help pay for block parties, uh, any events that we did to meet people and greet people in the park Uh, I helped pay the rent for uh, uh, the facility that we met in initially which was a motel in the lobby and other things like that I helped purchase a uh, a laptop computer a TV screen to put our words up on our scriptures uh, a sound system all kinds of things like that Really helped us get get started, as it were. Um, but again, the, to me, the best thing was the freedom and, and, and the love and support. Churches from all over the United States would send us notes, send us packages. That was just thrilling. We, we'd get a package. What did we get this time? And we'd open them up. And it's for the kids, and that that just thrilled me. Uh, most of the people we're ministering to are poor children, and, and the parents to come with. Uh, that has just been fantastic.
0: You're in a very interesting context. Tell us a little bit more about what you
1: do. Well, when we prayer canvassed the park, walked through it, we, that was a way of assessing the needs of the park. And we saw a, lot, a strong need for children. Uh, they're bored. There's no playground. The park doesn't care. Mobile Home Park just doesn't care. So we thought, let's develop a children's ministry. So on Wednesday nights, we started meeting with the kids uh, initially outside in the, in the hot sun, you know. But these kids would come. We'd sit under a tree, and they would learn about Jesus. These kids didn't know anything about the gospel, uh, the Bible, anything, nothing. I tell people in Abilene, we've got mission fields right here in Abilene. They're pockets, and this is a pocket of kids that don't know uh, the Savior. So what we did, we started a kids' program started meeting on Wednesday nights, and uh, we realized the kids were hungry. So we feed them first. It's usually like a hot dog or something like that, pizza. We feed them, and then we do a basic Bible study about Jesus. But of late, I've learned that the kids don't know any books of the Bible. I tell them to turn in their Bible to a book of the Bible, and they just look at me. And they look at that Bible. They don't know how to do it. So we're teaching them the books of the Bible, the order that they're in, and how to find it. Just basic stuff that we take for granted, and so we started doing children. And then we started doing youth, and and then uh, not long ago, about oh, about two years ago, a church in the area gave us a church bus. But we were going to buy one using some of the CBF funds. Uh, somebody found out we were looking for a bus, and they just gave us one, yeah. a 25 passenger people mover, and that has been an absolute blessing. And we use that bus to pick up the kids and the youth wednesday night but also to go on what i call family trips to first baptist church abilene family life center to go to uh go bowling to go uh to the mall go swimming anything to just love on these kids and that has been a blessing um we started meeting for worship on sunday mornings but we found out for a lot of people we're trying to reach sunday morning just not going to cut it they're sleeping in they're reading the paper uh, they're at work. So we started meeting in the evenings. Uh, and that has worked out pretty good. We, we do uh, at 6 o'clock. And honestly, we have to schedule it around the Cowboys football game. <laughs> Dallas Cowboy fans are big here. If that game's on, they ain't coming to church. Forget about it. And so we schedule it at 6 o'clock. Even during losing seasons? Yeah. Many of <laughs> Even in the losing season like okay. this right. year. I mean, I begrudgingly watch the games gotten depressed while watching, but anyway, that's beside the point. So we meet at 6 o'clock, and then we have a meal afterwards, and uh, so we try to do lots of things, family-oriented. We emphasize family. We don't separate the children in church. We want the children to learn to worship with adults, and uh, uh, so we do family events. For example, not long ago, just out of the blue, after doing a little bit of research, we decided to do family bingo night, and that has been fantastic. We, we packed the church building up. Uh,
0: now, you meet in a facility that is much different than many traditional churches and, and certainly different than many of our new church starts. So tell us a little bit about the gathering space you have here in this mobile park.
1: Our building is a mobile home. I stumbled across it. Well, the Lord brought it in my path. I was riding around on my motor scooter in the park saying hey to people, and I talked to a guy that was in front of a home that looked really sad looking. I said, what's the story with that? He said, well, my dad owns it. It's a former meth house. I said, cool. Do you want to sell it? Yeah, I think so. Next thing we know, using CBF funds and a gift from a friend of mine, we purchased this home. And Andy, I'm telling you, it was ugly. It was ugly. You could stick your fingers through the walls, the holes in the floor where they pour the meth leftover crap through the floors, holes in the ceiling, and it was bad. Some that felt we were dumb. Can't believe you're doing that. But I felt strongly about it. So did the core group. We felt strongly about it. This is what we need. A mobile home there in the park that we can convert into a church. And it's taken two years. And uh, we've gotten rid of all the meth stuff. There is no more meth in there. Um, when we were demoing it, we had to make sure people wore gloves and a mask. And uh, during the summer months, it was... Com- Completely opened up. There were no walls or anything on it. And that high heat of the summer got all the meth stuff out of it. Hmm. I had researched on the Internet the best way to get rid of it, and that's one of the best. So it is all gone. There's nothing in there that has meth in it. And people that have watched us do this have come in and it's like, wow. Soon we're going to have an open house for everybody in the park to come be a party.
0: Now, based on what you said, it sounded like it took a lot of partnerships to help make this dream a reality.
1: Oh, I tell you, if it wasn't for churches and individuals from all over the United States, we would not have been able to do any other renovation on this house. It it needed everything done. The electrical was old. It was paper uh, electrical. You can't use that. So we pulled all the electrical out. We pulled all the plumbing out because they would pour the mess stuff into the plumbing. So what I did was... I, all, I didn't go begging for money. I just mentioned something on Facebook, believe it or not. And suddenly a check came into mail for $7,000 to help with renovation. And then people from all over the United States, classmates of mine, heard about what we were doing, and they were sending money. And churches in around Abilene, churches as far away as North Dakota, Louisiana, California, in Georgia helped with this project. One church drove nine hours from Louisiana to build a handicap ramp on the building. The handicap ramp, when they built it, was nicer looking than the building. The building was literally sad looking, and here's this nice looking ramp. I have pictures of that. It was almost out of place, but they wanted to help. Uh, if it wasn't for churches and individuals, there's no way we've gotten done what we've gotten done. I've done a lot of the the, the wrap-up stuff myself. I'm not a, a carpenter or construction worker in any way, shape, form, or fashion. But YouTube has been fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I whip out my phone and figure out how to do this. And, and I, I'm pretty good at that. I can figure things out.
0: Church starting can be a very lonely thing. Um, I, so I think it's amazing to see how you have utilized partnerships to literally build this church from the ground up, and I, I think it also speaks to uh, the depth of the fellowship, um, to hear that we have churches that are literally traveling from all over the country, um, who have heard your story, who want to um, give a hand of help um, to make this dream and vision become a reality, um, and so I think that's fantastic, and it's, it speaks uh, greatly of who CBF is um, not as a necessarily as an organization, but um, the churches and individuals that compose this great uh, fellowship that we are a part of. Um, well, tell me a little bit about uh, success. Uh, Church starts to uh, find success in a number of different ways, and so I'm interested to hear how you define success.
1: My definition of success is so different than than what many of my colleagues in the area call success. A lot of times when I tell them I'm planning a church, the first question out of their mouth is, how many do you have? And, and, and I get irritated by that. Because it's not about that. Because I, I tell people, listen, if it's about the numbers then Jesus was a failure while hanging on the cross. It's not about the numbers. It's about relationships. So I measure success by relationships that I'm building. And, and some of them have taken years. We have found when we moved into the park that many, many churches knew about this mobile home park, that it's a poor neighborhood, and they would go in there and do a vacation Bible school or a backyard Bible club or some event and then leave and never hear from them again. So when we first got there, the impression I got was that they thought we were just another group that's going to blow in and blow out. But I would point to our home. We live in the park. We moved into the mobile home park. We downsized Greatly to move into that park. So I don't regret doing that. So when I would visit with people, I'd point to our home. I said, Oh no, we live here. And now I can point to the church building. No, we're actually here. So to me, that's important. It's about relationships, building relationships, building the trust factor. Um, There's still some distrust. I still sense that on occasion. But I'm still shaking hands with people. I ride around on my motor scooter and just just pull in and say hi to somebody. How you doing? Almost everybody in the park knows who I am now, for the most part. You
0: know, I think back to my childhood and uh, teenage years going on mission trips. Um, we were doing ministry much like uh, some of those churches you were describing. We'd go into these uh, impoverished neighborhoods and areas and do vacation Bible school and have a great three or four days and then and then leave. And obviously... Uh, It was a growing experience for us, but, you know, we probably didn't think about the uh, detriment uh, that we were creating in this community um, by not being there, by not sustaining ministry, by not being there to form relationships. But you're here. I mean, you're here every single day. Uh, You live right here within the community. So how are y'all creating sustainable ministry here in the Pleasant Hills community?
1: Well, one is, is having events that involve everybody. Um, when we got that church bus that was given to us, that was we were like, whoa. My wife and I were so excited. So we do family trips, and we call them family trips, to nearby water park about an hour away. We go to this small water park, and we've been there twice, and, and they, they're already ready for next year. Uh, we go to the state park nearby and go camp out with the kids. We uh, take trips to go see a movie here in town. There's a college here in town that shows movies for free called Movie on the Hill. And we just load that bus up, it'll hold 25, and we packed it out. The family and kids going down to watch a free movie. Because a lot of these people don't have money. Anything we can do that's free and causes fa- family unity and causes us to build relationships, we will do it. Like going to the Family Life Center at First Baptist Abilene. Uh, that's been a lot of fun. So we're trying to do different things like that. Matter of fact, soon we're thinking about planning a trip to a little town called Buffalo Gap, uh, just south of Abilene, where they do a flea market once a month, and just load everybody Let's go to the flea market. No charge. Let's go have fun. And if you want to buy something to eat, you're welcome to it. Sometimes we prepare food and bring it with us. And so, those things, including the Family bingo Night, I believe help develop Relationships. Those are relationship building events. And in many churches, they don't really do a whole lot of that. They, that what they say is come to us. Come in our doors. And I didn't grow up going to church. So I try to think what it was like before I became a Christian. If somebody invited me to church, would I go? Probably not. But if it was an event that was everybody involved, then I might be more open to that. So I'm t- I try to always remind myself to think like someone who has no church background, uh, or has been hurt by the church, or uh, disenfranchised in some way or fashion. What would get me back involved? One, they got to get to know me. So I, I, I spend a lot of time shaking hands, talking. To the- we have a Eleven around the corner from us. That has become a place of community. In, in weird ways, After I go in there and get a soda, I run into somebody. How you doing? And, you know, and I pray with people right there, and, and that's part of the, the social community of that park in that Seven Eleven. We've given away hot dogs at the Seven Eleven just because. So those kind of things, I'm hoping, break down the barrier. You know, you're reaching a, a demographic that
0: not a lot of our churches are connecting with. Um, Not that they're not interested in connecting with, but um, you have uniquely positioned yourself here. Um, You know, but talk about some of the challenges that you face with the particular demographic um, that you are connecting with with Pleasant Hills.
1: Most of them work one to two jobs, sometimes as many as three. Some of them are on disability. There are a number that are struggling with alcohol and drug issues. Um, got a guy living right next door to the church that I help him out whenever I can uh, matter of fact today he called me his, his electricity got shut off we don't have the funds to help him probably shouldn't do it but what we do we run an electric cord from our house to his temporarily so his refrigerator doesn't go, food goes bad I don't mind doing that I give him rides to pick up his bicycle from pawn shop the people I, we deal with a lot of the ones, almost every, I think without exception, one one family that we minister to are broken families. All of them are. Uh, sometimes only one parent. Grandparents raising a child. Um, it, it's a very difficult, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, difficult demographic. It, it's not clean and cut, like some people say. I remember at my previous church that I pastor, I'll never forget this a young family came into church and were visiting mom and dad and two cute little kids and one of the deacons came up and said that's the kind of people we need to reach and it broke my heart he had narrowed it down to clean cut and what about those who are not like that what about those who are single families struggling with drugs with all kinds of issues shouldn't they be reached also and that bothered me. And, and I understand what the man was trying to say, but I think he, he lost the focus. The gospel is for everyone, not just one group that we like. Uh, the people where we live love garage sales, flea markets, country music. Our building is country themed. Uh, we're Pleasant Hills Country Church. Because we're laid back. I preach with a baseball cap on. In some settings, that's just horrible. For me, I don't think twice about it. I wear my blue jeans. Kids come with shorts on. I don't care. I don't think Jesus made kids go change clothes when he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount. You know, they had to go to the bathroom in the middle of the service. Our kids do the same thing. They get up in the middle of the service and go to the bathroom. I just have to remind them to please close the door. Because <laughs> we can hear the business going on. <laughs> and wash your hands before you come back. So, But those are the kind of the people we're dealing with. They're 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 blue-collar people, uh down to earth, they tell you what they think, and sometimes they use foul language. And you know, I've learned, don't get offended by the foul language, just love on them. Because if you if you if you get offended by the smoke on their breath, marijuana on their breath, I had one guy in the middle of church service got up and go buy crack. Right there in the middle of church. I'm still loving on him. He admits to me, I'm struggling with this. He had just gotten paid and he had to have a hit. In many churches, they wouldn't want that group there. They need to be going somewhere else. Or not at all. In some people's minds. Uh, so we I believe in taking people right where they are, just like Jesus did. And what happened? He got criticized. I've had people tell me I'm nuts. I don't care. I don't care.
0: Bob, you're an excellent pastor with a tremendous heart. Oftentimes, uh, this type of work is draining. Um, so on the difficult days, are there particular stories that remind you and reaffirm your calling?
1: Well, uh, like I was sharing with you earlier, there's a young lady that she lives, uh, I believe it's two doors down from us, that she lives with her grandma and grandpa. And I had noticed her there and... and so I started talking to the grandma and grandpa, and I said, "Do you think your granddaughter would be interested in coming to our kids' program?" And this was about a, about a year ago. She said, well, you know, I think she might." And she'd been coming for about a year now. And we're getting ready to put together an Easter program for the kiddos. We find that's one way to get the parents there. And so what we're doing, we're setting it up like a, uh, a talk show where they interview people who were there when Jesus was crucified. And, and following the resurrection. Uh, so, we were signing parts last night, and my wife, I signed her the part as the interviewer, the, the talk show host. The look on her face was worth it all. She was grinning from ear to ear, and she, she gave a fist pump, and I watched her. She She's just so wonderful to watch her grow. She. I think for the first time learning about Jesus. And she's starting to ask questions. And I'm like, wow, that's what it's all about. And almost all the kids that are coming, except with her as an exception, maybe a couple others, have accepted Christ and been baptized. But I'm being, I try to be patient, let the kids bring the subject up. and And that way they're for real. And I'm prayerful for her. Her grandma and grandpa are doing a superb job with her. And just to watch the the look on her face last night when I was watching her, I was smiling on the inside saying, that's why we do what we're doing. Wow, we
0: are so proud and thankful for the work you're doing for the kingdom. If you want to find out more information or support the work of Bob and Pleasant Hills Country Church, you can visit their Facebook page, Pleasant Hills Country Church. Or email Bob at wackypreacher1 at gmail.com. Thanks for joining this Church Starts conversation. For more information about church starting and other initiatives about the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, visit cbf.net.